0: This is the Best Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to Best Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Insurance Professional Resources. We're pleased to have with us today Brian Schneider, RPA and the President of Schneider and Associates Claim Services in California and surrounding states. Schneider & Associates is a multi-line independent adjusting company that Brian founded in 1993. Prior to that, Brian was employed in a variety of managerial roles with leading insurers. Today's discussion is the challenges of catastrophic claims handling. So Brian, for our first question today, what do you consider the greatest challenge as it pertains to the successful adjusting of catastrophe claims from the perspective of an independent catastrophe adjusting company?
1: Huh. Well, you know, that's a tough question because there, there really are so many and and they do change depending on where you are in the arc of any given storm season. But if I had to pick one, it would be ensuring that you have enough experienced adjusters who you're familiar with and, you know, they've proven themselves during prior seasons. Uh, the best adjusters are going to be pinged by multiple other uh, cat firms in the lead up to a storm. So really, you're an open competition for a finite number of those folks. And the best adjusters, um, from my perspective, are going to be attracted by three things. First, obviously, it's the fee schedule. You now, most adjusters, CAT adjusters, are compensated based on a percentage of the fees. So, firms will offer a higher percentage to attract the best talent. But percentages, um, you know, they can often be misleading. Uh, some IA's, in order to secure as many customers as possible, they'll they'll agree to work for what I would consider fees that are too low and a poor fee schedule will end up not attracting the type of adjusters who are going to produce the best work. So what we try and do is work for companies that place an emphasis on the end product um, rather than the price and who understand that the fee schedule has to be sufficient to support that end product. So then I guess after compensation, it would be the process that you put in place that the field adjusters have to work within. So even if the, the compensation looks excellent initially, if you burden your team with too much paperwork as a part of that they find themselves spending way too much unproductive time just just dealing with the process and not actually turning claims and that might make some middle managers happy but for me it usually ends up in lower compensation for the fuel adjuster because they can't handle as many claims cuz they're dealing with the process and it also results in insureds that aren't very happy and they end up waiting longer than necessary for their claims to be taken care of so you know, what we try and do is we try and work with the same core team because these, these uh, men and women that we work with, they, they already know the game plan, they need less direction. And, and 90% of everyone I work with on our core team has, they, they started out with the company handling daily claims in different states. So they, they know what's expected of them.
0: Brian, let's look at the other side of the spectrum. What do you consider the greatest challenge for insurers when dealing with a catastrophe?
1: well um i guess it's it's very much the same as with adjusting firms it's staffing uh especially in the lead up uh when the storm first hits you know there's there's the calm before the storm literally (laughs) and then All of a sudden, all heck breaks loose and call volume can overwhelm any insurer. You know, the the state farms of the world, they can handle a spike because they've got all kinds of people. But medium sized insurers, smaller insurers, um, boutique insurers, trying to manage a tenfold increase in call volume, that's very difficult. Um, So. What a lot of insurers are going to do is they're going to partner with firms that can take first loss reports and, and really importantly, know how to manage an insured's expectation, because when the insured calls, you know, they could be standing in a foot of water and they expect somebody at their house, it might be their first claim. They expect somebody at their house tomorrow, and that's just not going to happen with, with a large event. So if if you're, if you have a, um, if you're an insurer that is, is adept at doing it yourself or can Partner with a company that knows how to take these first losses and, and manage insurers' expectations. It, it takes a lot of pressure off uh, the insurer's claims team, and they can focus on actually processing claims rather than fielding calls. And you know, so that's that's a very important uh, component of is you know people forget that you know it's it's the telephone that takes up almost more time than actually being in the field because. If you don't manage those calls in the beginning, that that first wave of calls, reporting claims, that that is going to be dwarfed in a week or two by insureds calling, asking, Hey, where's my adjuster? You know, why hasn't anyone come to see me? And then, then you're paralyzed, then it's just uh, an avalanche. So like I said, setting your insurers' expectations and following through um, on, on those expectations and your promises is critical because if you don't, then that's, that's, you know, a recipe for a completely different kind of disaster. Um, also, you know, reserving, reserving is a huge issue uh, for insurers for obvious reasons. But, um, you know, if you rely on a, a company that's going to be in the field for you, whether it's your own adjusters, or it's an IA, like, like us, um, accurate reserves are just critical. And many insurers, they'll they'll have you know preliminary reserves that just they're just set, but once you're in the field, um, communication with your uh, field team to set uh, updated reserves is very important. And where a lot of uh, a lot of companies fall down on the company side and on the IA side is, is this, this bottleneck, is that you've got um, adjusters out climbing up on roofs or, or wading through water in basements, and they're seeing 10, 15, uh, risks a day. And they see that, you know, for two weeks and they don't transmit reserves to anybody. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you know, so, so then you're getting reserves late. So what we, we try to do to work around that is that our system, we have our adjusters send four overview photos and, uh, preliminary reserves by coverage to the desk adjuster before they even leave the uh, loss location. And so that at least gets critical information to them in real time. What they do with it, that's up to them and some companies are better than others. Um, so that, that's, that's a, a very, very big challenge is reserving. Um, so I would say those are the two.
0: So, Brian, how do states regulate catastrophe adjusters versus adjusters who work primarily on daily claims?
1: Well, generally, they're regulated in the same way, except um, in the in the event of a, a catastrophe, the governor of a particular state declares a state of emergency for a you know a hurricane or a flood that will trigger the ability of adjusters who may not be licensed in a particular state where the loss occurs to uh, adjust. Uh, is on an emergency basis that works with companies, too. But, you know, states, they do not have uniform rules or procedures. So it's important uh, to check with whichever state you're going to be deploying to to make sure that you're in compliance. Um, you know, some states don't even require adjusters to be licensed at all. Others require only the firm to be licensed. And then the adjuster can work under that uh, firm's license. That's uh, California is a state like that. Other states like Arizona, Nevada need the firm and the individual adjuster to be licensed. Um, and, you know, a lot of it's just paperwork. If an adjuster is licensed in, already licensed in another state, especially California and Texas are the kind of gold standards for that. Uh, most States have reciprocity agreements, so you just file your paperwork and, and then you can, you know, within a matter of hours, sometimes, or days you can adjust in in that state. There are some States that doesn't work. For instance, if you're, uh, licensed in California and you want to adjust in Alabama, California and Alabama apparently don't like each other because they don't have reciprocity. So you have to, uh to actually go to Alabama with a California license and sit for the test but if you have a license in Texas you can readily get your Alabama license so it's uh you really just have to keep up with with all the changes because they change all the time and before deploying anybody you you've, you've got to make sure that you're in compliance
0: Brian how do catastrophe companies address requests for re-inspections that arise months or sometimes years after a cat team has left the area of the storm.
1: Yeah. You know, this is a, a pretty sore issue for a lot of insurers because very often, you know, your cat team, they parachute in, they they uh, they see many, many homes and then they're gone. And a year later, you, you've got a PA. Um, with uh, a, a supplement request that's far beyond what's reasonable, and you call the IA, and the IA says, "Well, my cat adjusters—they're in France right now. You know, they—they can't—they can't reinspect." And so, the, uh, the insurance companies left with trying to desk adjust it or assigned to a local IA that may or may not have the right. Uh, experience may not have, if it's a flood, they might not have uh, a flood adjuster or if it's a fire or an earthquake, they might not have, might not be earthquake certified. So, you know, what the larger IA firms, they don't have a problem with that so much because they've got people everywhere. Uh, Insurance companies, larger insurance companies don't have that problem as much either. what we try and do is we're, we're not we're not the the biggest company. We're about a medium sized IA firm, but we have enough staff and we have them in areas that are prone to, to storms. So if we need to conduct a reinspection I usually have somebody close enough that we can we can handle that, um, but people do it in in a variety of different ways, but again, uh, the, the, really at the end of the day, the way to to keep from having to do a lot of reinspections inspections is just have experienced adjusters that are writing an accurate estimate the first time and maintain a good relationship with the insured off the jump. And then you don't have those problems.
0: Given the immense volume of claims generated by a catastrophe, how do you ensure that damage estimates are completed in an accurate manner?
1: Well, um, you know you just got to hire people that know what they're doing you got to hire experienced field adjusters and you have to vet them you can't just look at a resume and think oh well this person has experience because they've handled all these other storms it's just it's uh that's that's a recipe for disaster um so you know we get around that i my core team has been working with us for years and i don't have to worry about that and if i do have to um, hire someone new um, i make sure that they're watched closely they they um, handle a finite number of claims in the beginning to make sure that they do a good job and then when they know when we know that they can handle more then that's when they get more Um, you just you just need a team that needs less supervision because they're well-trained and you have to, but but within that, you still have to have competent supervisors to to review the estimates because no estimate can go just just right from the field adjuster to the end user. They, they need to be vetted because people get tired. You're working sometimes 24 hours, sometimes, I mean, really 24 hours a day. Sometimes you don't sleep um, and mistakes can be made. So you need... Uh, good supervision, and you also need uh, a streamlined system uh, within which all of this can take place so that people aren't bogged down by the process.
0: Brian, how does a successful independent catastrophe adjusting company attract talent?
1: Well, we we sort of touched uh, on this earlier, but to expound a bit, you know, that occurs over time. It's it's a cliche to say this is a small industry, but it's a cliche because it really is a small industry. It's true. And cat adjusters talk to each other. They know which uh, IA has the preferred customers. They know which uh, insurers uh, or TPAs are easiest to work with, which offer the best compensation. And, And finally, they know, you know, which companies are gonna treat them with respect and and that they can rely on that they're gonna get paid. Some some adjusters, you know, they work long hours and they end up waiting months to get paid. I, I really can't tell you how many times I've heard about experienced adjusters, people I know personally who worked Storm that we were not involved in. uh, So they worked for other uh, companies. They're treated so poorly by that particular company. They'd never ever work with that company again. And so word spreads. And when that happens, it becomes very difficult to be successful uh, in attracting talent. So, you know, once again, it's just from word of mouth experience, knowing people over time and reputation.
0: Brian, one final question for today. What changes, if any, do you think are in store for this segment of the industry?
1: Well, I wish that I knew. (laughs) I mean, because I I have an idea, but it, it never seems, you know, who who could have predicted the pandemic. You know, I think at the carrier level, I think um, artificial intelligence is going to be used more and more to predict climate patterns, to to better underwrite and prepare for catastrophic events. Um, I think we're going to see that I, the kind of AI. I mean, there are so many competing insure tech companies. It's it's hard to know what's who's going to win. Um, but you know, speaking of the pandemic, I think it's really accelerated the notion among some at the carrier level, especially in the C suites. Um, in the personal line space that uh, you don't really need uh, a, an on the ground adjuster. Uh, they, they think that they can do this remotely and they see what we do sort of as a commodity instead of what I think it is, which is a, a vital component of maintaining ultimately customer satisfaction and persistency. But, uh, you know, the more carriers are moving that way that they they feel like oh we can just hand the insured a cell phone the insured can take a few pictures then we can write an estimate remotely and my sense is that that's going to be short-lived because when loss ratios begin ratcheting up reflecting that strategy they'll they'll revert back to the to the the human factor Um, of course augmented by new whatever it's going to be management software like you know, automatic triaging, weather verification technology and, and especially aerial imagery advances. So I, I, I think that's basically what's going to happen.
0: Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. You've just listened to Brian Schneider, President and RPA of Schneider and Associates Claim Services, and special thanks to today's producer, Frank Vowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for Best Insurance Law Podcast to subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage www.ambest.com slash professional resources. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professional Resources features valuable insurance industry content, including searchable profiles of client-recommended insurance attorneys, adjusters, and expert service providers. Brought to you by AM Best, known worldwide as a respected source of insurance industry news and information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.